welcome, Laura. Uh, thank you so much for coming to talk with me today about sexual desire discrepancy, attachment, and uh, pleasure, individuation, differentiation, and, and how sex can be navigated in a relationship with, let's say, a couple, which I know you work a lot with couples. So, yeah, what, what would you say to that? Um, sure. So I think we, we've been talking a lot about when a sexual desire discrepancy, which is what a lot of my work has been over the last few years, um, both kind of in terms of research, also in terms of um, working with couples in the clinical setting, and also now um, working with a sex therapy app, which focuses specifically on helping couples navigate sexual desire discrepancy um, in their relationships. But I think traditionally we look at look at couples kind of difficulties or any difficulties more from an individual lens. Like if we think about the diagnostic manual or DSM, um, which focuses on all the kind of mental health and sexual health disorders, they're all individual based. So when we think about sexual desire discrepancy, usually we talk about low libido or low desire partner. Um, usually women, um, but actually a lot of times it can be a man too, but um, we tend to talk about it kind of in different terms a little bit, or we put it down to erectile problems rather than low libido, um, also in men. But for women, it tends to be like, oh, women, women just don't want to have sex. But for me, you can't really separate low libido from its context, um, which is the caveat. Of course, there's some people um, for various reasons that they actually have a low libido, but most of the time we have a low libido in relation to someone else's libido, which is higher. Um, so for me, it makes more sense to kind of conceptualize and look at our desire and couple sexuality more from the perspective of the couple instead of just being like oh you have low libido you're the problem you need to fix yourself and focus more on okay one of us wants more sex one of us wants less sex how do we navigate that discrepancy or why is there a discrepancy in the first place mm -hmm. right and you know if you see couples and of course Part of your job, I imagine, is to help slow down the space and to recognize their attachment styles and their history and what's happened and why it's become so urgent uh, and what's going on in, in, in the sexual space emotionally um, as well as sexually and erotically. You know, how do you help people? Let's say a couple has not had sex for 10, 15 years and they turn up and one of them has no desire at all but they would like to see if it's possible to connect mm -hmm. and open up that part of the relationship even though one of them has no desire yeah yeah for sure Kate. that's a really good question and not that unusual um, in our therapy rooms I'm sure you've noticed that too um, I think a lot of times people there's either a problem in the relationship or there's problem with, I don't know, raising kids or works too much or the sex wasn't very enjoyable. There's lots of reasons why the sexual desire may have come down or stopped completely in some cases. And we build up defenses very quickly around that. So we get to a place where we just have no, no libido at all. We say we have no libido at all. Um, for me, I came more from the kind of couple and family therapy realm rather than from sex therapy. So I almost always start with the relationship um, and then move on to the sexual relationship whilst keeping the sexual relationship alive, of course, because people still think that um, that's kind of what they came in for. Um, and if you don't mention sex for like, I don't know, 30, 40 sessions, they're going to think, OK, she doesn't get me at all. Um, but we focus more on identifying, like Kate, you mentioned, slowing it down, identifying, okay, what's going on? What are the patterns of relating um, between the two partners? We, in attachment theory, we talk about attachment styles. We talk about some people being avoidant. So they kind of stay away from intimacy and too much closeness. They want some distance and separation. And then we have anxious people who 
can come across as kind of clingy and needy and always needing reassurance and wanting to get closer and closer and closer. Um, and then we have secure people who are kind of comfortable with some level of closeness and, and distance um, in the relationship at the same time. In emotionally focused therapy, we recognize the kind of attachment styles, but we just use them different names because we use the names more as a as a kind of relating to the behavior that person is engaging in. So anxious person becomes a pursuer um, because they're pursuing for the connection and the person who's avoidant becomes the withdrawer because they kind of pull away from, from the closeness and connection to kind of maintain some safety um, for, for them because it's become too overwhelming. So what we try to do in EFT is to identify kind of who's the pursuer, who's the withdrawer, why they're stuck in this dance or this pattern with each other. And Kate, like you said, it often becomes very, very urgent. So obviously the more someone pursues, the more the other person gets overwhelmed and withdraws, the more the, that person's overwhelmed and withdrawn and doesn't say anything the more you have to pursue for connection because the further the other person is. So the more ingrained this pattern becomes, the more urgent um, the need becomes for both partners as well. And it can be quite extreme at times too. And of course, you know, it might be that um, it's, it's someone who's had sex in such a way that they didn't like, like you were saying, and it's built up over a long time and then they got to the point where they said I'm not I'm not sure. doing mm. this anymore mm. and um but you know sometimes couples will come in and understandably they'll say our relationship's great we just mm -hmm. don't have sex but I feel like um, sex often is a mirror of what's going on as well and there's actually more mm. more to the picture and I'm, I'm wondering if you can speak to that, what the stages might be in mm -hmm. even beginning to work with, in some ways, trauma that, that someone, um, the one that pursued may regret certain things that were done in certain ways and mm -hmm. one and the other one may have complied mm -hmm. on things that didn't suit them, but this wasn't understood together, possibly, possibly. Um, and that you're possibly there as a therapist to help metabolize mm -hmm. what's become personified in 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 the setup or presentified you know in the setup so that how yeah how do you how would you start when one of the things is to mention sex but one of the things is to create that safety because one of them got so unsafe they went no yeah yeah absolutely for sure I think there's there's a lot of things Kate that you mentioned there there's obviously the kind of place where the like you said the sex wasn't that great it probably became worse and worse and worse over time because when we kind of have sex just to please our partner we enjoy it less so therefore usually it becomes worse and worse over time also partly because our enjoyment and desire towards the sex becomes worse and then a lot of times like people eventually go I can't do this anymore this is too much this is too difficult and then they shut down completely kind of regardless of how much sexual desire they have kind of naturally um because they just I mean why would you want to have cheesecake that tastes like cardboard I don't think many of us would do that and would continue to eat it because it tastes horrible the same thing with sex like if it tastes like cardboard of course you don't have any desire for it um it's a very very delicate balance um as a therapist to kind of navigate that because oftentimes the person hasn't said that to their partner um and i quite often see couples where like, you start kind of talking to them initially they're like oh yeah the sex was fine the relationship's great we just don't have sex anymore um because blah 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 and then you kind of navigate further. And oftentimes the, the relationship might be quote unquote great, but great because they don't address the issue, because they don't talk about it, because they brush on the carpet and pretend like everything is okay. But that's not a definition of a good, healthy relationship. If there isn't communication about something that's a problem between the partners, 
that is not a good, great relationship. Um, and usually sex becomes that issue, um, at least one of, one of the main issues in my experience that people just don't talk about. They don't have the language. We haven't been taught how to talk about sex. Actually talking about sex even in some ways is wrong or we have this idea that sex is supposed to be somehow kind of natural and easy and supposed to just happen and we're supposed to just know magically how to have sex, um, which is an interesting idea, but doesn't quite work in practice very often. Um, so I think in terms of like working with couples to get them to a place where they can open up and actually talk honestly about sex, for me, is kind of the first place. Because if the sex wasn't that great, just giving them tasks to get them to have sex again is not going to help them unless they have and learn ways in which they can communicate with each other about sex. Because otherwise, what if they we, we even work through some of that and we get to a place when they are having sex again, but then there's a problem and they don't talk about it, then it's just going to go back to zero. Um, so for me, the first step is always helping them to navigate the conversation and being able to talk about sex, because if they can't, this it just won't be a long term solution. Um, and when we're in a place where the couple has the words to talk about sex, when they feel like they're comfortable enough talking about sex, that's usually when we start kind of addressing the sexual issue as such and not just the sexual communication issue, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's beautiful. And might you start those off in individual sessions and then bring it to the couple session? Or might you, where would you start with that? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's a really good question, Kate. Um, so in emotionally focused therapy, we always have individual sessions with clients. Um, some that couples therapists do it differently. So some couples therapists have kind of individual sessions where the partner is still in the room, but you explicitly focus on just one person and their history. And there are definitely a lot of positives to that. So you can kind of hear the partner's story and you can hear um, kind of what's been happening and that can help create some empathy between the partners. For me, I do them fully individually. Um, I just ask some questions, kind of more generic questions in the assessment with the two of them. And then I have an individual session with each because especially things like sexual trauma or sex not being enjoyable or not finding your partner attractive anymore or infidelity or all those things that might get in the way of the sex life being good. A lot of people don't talk about them and they wouldn't say it if the partner was there. So I will always have some time individually where we can explore those things and also talk about ways in which they can bring that up with their partner and talk to their partner about it. So the individual sessions are always done kind of in the service of the couple and the couple relationship. And it's not meant to be kind of me keeping secrets from the other partner and colluding with one person it's more okay you might feel more comfortable talking to me first let's figure out how can we talk to your partner about these things that feel important and pertain to their relationship and it's going to affect uh, their relationship and do you find you know like you spoke to before that that somebody might uh, think well this should all happen naturally and so do you find that sometimes big things begin to flow but then somebody one of them might feel that urgency like well this should just happen and in a way like um i mean in um imago work they call it an abog i think uh, another bloody opportunity for growth you know that you you get a <laughs> diet you you can use it as a diagnosis like we look at looking at uh, sensate focus or these mm. talking about sex or working in this way that if things pop up in the space then we can see ah you're helping me to see more about the relationship so do you find that you know you might actually be opening doorways people are opening up maybe you're finding a bit more out maybe it's slow but things are opening but then one person might get kind of like hang on a second this should all be spontaneous and what are we even doing this for and what's the point and almost like you thought that the the Lego pieces were working out and then one of them's gone boom. <laughs> I would say that's more of a rule than an exception in couples therapy. Uh, there's almost always that kind of moment that you go, 
everything's gone to shit. Um, pardon my French. Um, but that's uh, that's usually what happens at some point. I've come to realize that oftentimes that happens just before the couple really gets better um, because they've kind of created a move towards some, some new kind of homeostasis, some new balance. But new balances are scary because they're different from what you know. And they're very different. You relating to each other differently. You're taking risks differently to how you used to be do before. You're feeling more vulnerable with your partner. Um, and that's not how you used in, in um, interacting with your partner. And that is often quite stabilize, destabilizing and quite scary. So oftentimes we kind of find a way to get back to the homeostasis again, to the old way of being. And you just need one massive argument or one person going, I'm done. I can't like, this should just be all over. We should just have figured it out. This is taking too long. I just can't deal with this or it's all your fault. And they have this massive row. Um, and we usually kind of talk through that um, and talk about kind of like that increased vulnerability and how scary that is for people. Um, and like you said, that is often a doorway into it. And I'm really glad when it happens in, in some ways. Obviously, for couples, it's quite distressing. Um, but I always reassure them this is kind of normal and this is expected to happen. Um, but if that happens whilst in therapy, that's a lot better because we can process it. Because if it happens after therapy and then they just feel like, well, the whole therapy was a complete waste of time. We haven't improved at all. Um, and we can't do this, but they have no one to kind of go to to process that experience. For me, that's worse than having that experience whilst in therapy and then being able to talk to their therapist about it afterwards. So that's beautiful, isn't it? The, 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 the validation and the making sense of everything in context and that opening a new paradigm is going gonna, is gonna to bring up anxiety potentially. And so in anxiety, you know, our parts that want to have things in order again, again, they maybe go, right, let's go back. So let's say somebody might have wanted to order their partner into intercourse, let's just say, and say, look, we should be having it and it should be spontaneous and there shouldn't be any planning around anything, um, even though that may have impacted uh, the partner in and um, impacted their erectile functioning, for example, the stress and the pressure. And they're doing really, really well. That that impulse may come back again. It could come back again. And like you said, if that can be uh, looked at granularly and metabolized mm -hmm. and understood, then there's there's room for those feelings and those relational feelings. Because sometimes you're dealing with history, aren't you? Hurt. Yeah there how they grew up but also what's happened in the relationship so some there's attachment injuries sometimes that's in the sexual space too and mm -hmm. am i worthy am i wanted am i valued or am i wrong am i bad so yeah so how do you do that because sensate focus of course is is a journey i know you you're mm -hmm. very familiar with about taking couples on a series of touch mm -hmm. exercises and of sure. course that can that can go well or not well, or people can not do them or do mm -hmm. do them. Mm -hmm. It can bring all kinds of stuff. Uh, what's your thoughts about that? I think embarking on that journey is always, is always interesting for couples. It's from my side, not necessarily for the couples. Sometimes it is. Um, for me, I try to do as much kind of preparatory work with the couple before they embark on that journey, especially if they're on that kind of anxious spectrum. So for example, we might spend weeks just in the session for them like touching hands. I know Katie, you're very familiar with the three minute hand games or three minute exercises. So we do a lot of that. Um, and then they might do as, as kind of homework where for three minutes, I don't know, give a foot massage or give a hand massage or hold hands or give a hug for, for 30 seconds or things like that um, to help them prepare for that journey and feel more ready and capable of, of taking on that journey. Um, with Sensate Focus as well, like I, I do make sure that people understand that it's not necessarily a linear process, it's not meant to be a linear process because one of the goals of Sensate is to remove the linearity 
of sex as well. So like you mentioned, if um, if they've been going on that kind of sensate focus journey, they've been doing their exercises and kind of improving and making progress. And then one partner goes, oh, no, this is taking too long. And this should just be spontaneous. We're planning this. This is not what we want. This is not sex kind of thing. Um, that does often set people back. And then we talk about it. We process it in the session. And we might start from a slightly earlier place, uh, which obviously for the person that's kind of pushing in and eager and anxious to get to the finish line can be quite difficult. But we, when it comes to sexual issues, unfortunately, we do have to go with the pace of the kind of the slowest person, because if you don't, it's never going to work. Um, yeah. And how would you, how do you convince is not the right word, but you know, yeah how do you support the anxious person who's like I just want to get to spontaneity and I want this on the road and I want you know yeah for sure different approaches to different people the same approach won't work for everyone um for some people it's like well you've been in this place for 15 years um or I've had couples where the 15 years is more like 20 30 40 years um as opposed to like 10 15 and you've been here for this long taking six months to get to a place where you've never been before where it's better for both of you and not just for one of you uh, is a very short space of time but I do of course validate and affirm that it's it's really difficult because they want the closeness and want the connection they want the reassurance and sometimes we also talk about like okay how do we help you you work on those feelings and work through those feelings and how can you support each other in a non-sexual way that helps you feel um, more reassured um, and I think one thing that we haven't really talked about yet is that most of the time sex for people that pursue sex is a physical expression of how they feel with their partner um, their love towards their partner and also feeling like their partner loves them and cares about them, is still attracted to them and is not rejecting them, them as a person. Um, and I think when you get to those feelings, those feelings aren't specific to sex. It's just they've learned that the only way that's acceptable to seek out love and reassurance is through sex. Um, and so that's how they seek it. But if we can talk through that, if they can feel reassured that they are working and going along this journey together so that they can both have really nice sexual experiences, but the sex itself has no bearing on how much they love each other, how committed they're to each other, or how much they appreciate and, and care for each other as well. And usually that does help calm the nervous system down somewhat. So what I'm hearing is you reassure and validate the person who might ha have more urgent or emergency mm. uh, feelings to the space. And what if they would say to you, so the, the lower desire person is really enjoying the touch exercise, for example, and the higher desire person or seemingly higher desire person mm. is like, I've had enough of this and I'm not even enjoying it. And I just, you know, I just want to get on with it. Do you adjust that? Do you work that out with them in a different collaborative way or, yeah? Yeah, I would say, again, depends a lot on the couple. Um, with some people, I would just go with, well, you're not really supposed to enjoy it. That's not the point um, of Sensate Focus. Sensate Focus is, is, and I would use these kinds of analogies quite often, is it's a little bit like if you're afraid of spiders, you're not supposed to enjoy going and exposing yourself to spiders, but that's the only way you can get rid of your arachnophobia. It won't work otherwise. Exposure is pretty much the only thing that's shown to be effective for that. And same goes for sex. Um, there are some other things you can do and try, but the most effective way is exposure. Um, mm. What if they say, but I'm happy to have sex. I just don't want to do these touch exercises anymore. You know, <laughs> the high desire, let's just say. Yeah, for sure. And for that, I would probably, and sometimes this gets into a debate, which I try and avoid as, as much as possible. Um, but it's, they might be able to have sex two or three times, but that will not last. 
if the low desire partner isn't on the same page, it will not last. They might do it a few times to piece, appease the situation, to please the partner. But if that's what they were doing before the sex finished, it stopped. And if you just go back to doing the same thing you did before, guaranteed it will not work. It, so it, actually you can use the logic mm -hmm. to engage their mind to say, give mm -hmm. this a shot let yourself see this through don't give up now because that's the interesting thing about um pursuers and withdrawers and the different attachment styles is that often the pursuer wants things and wants it now but when it shows up there can be this resistance and to mm -hmm. actually receiving what they actually want or even in the session there can be suddenly the partner does turn up and and says you know I love now. you. What? I'm ready now. I'm ready. I want you. And there can be like this kind of overwhelming, like grief or anger or upset or even disbelief. Like, what? Yeah. You're saying this in the session? How come you don't say this outside? Mm. So, you know, there's so many layers to this. Like you said, and sex meaning so much. Mm -hmm. So I suppose you're doing a grief journey too. Yeah, for sure. I think a, a lot of times in a lot of different ways. Um, I think with the pursuer, like you said, um, they, they're often kind of going on this like, well, I wanted this for so long. Now you're telling me you kind of could have done this all along or we could have done this 10 years ago. So I guess they go through this kind of grief of like, we lost 10, 20, 30, 40 years of our relationship which is sad. It is really sad. And it breaks my heart every time I get couples coming into the therapy room where they've been together for decades and not addressed the problem until much, much later. Of course, it's better late than never. But if they'd come after, I don't know, well, ideally before the problem started, but kind of six months to a year after the problem started, they would have only lost six months to a year rather than decades. Um, and it doesn't mean that the decades are completely useless or they didn't have a great time with each other. Usually they do because they've been together for that long and they've gotten a lot from the relationship. But there is that kind of process of like, why didn't we do this before? Um, why have we not addressed this? Um, I've lost so much already. I just want to not lose any more time as well. And I think part of that urgency sometimes is also coming from that of like, and when there's kind of, this happens in kind of a life transition moment of like, oh, the, the kids have gone now. I have nothing less. I don't want to lose any more time. I've already given 20 years of my life to raise kids and being in an unhappy marriage <coughs> or in a sexless marriage. And I stayed because of the kids and blah, blah, blah. I don't want to waste any more time. Um, and I think that can be, that can be really difficult because they have um, in some ways wasted part of their potential by not addressing it earlier and do you find that sometimes couples engage in the touch exercises and um they're like oh wow how come we lost this how come we weren't doing this how come we haven't kept this going and then if for any reason they stop coming to couple work for a bit and they've had some ruptures which haven't got addressed yet they come back and they've both stopped they've both gone into their corners and they've both you know and it's both it's both and do you ever come across that as well that you know then it takes they've they've shifted a lot they're more secure mm -hmm. but that sexual piece or sensual piece is still like it, it can get put in the closet for sure and I think it happens with a lot of couples especially if they kind of finish the therapy slightly kind of too early or some big change happens and it kind of goes out the window again. So it can happen um, the same way as like the cycle can kind of backtrack. But I think sex, again, if you haven't really been able to open up those communication channels and then something happens and you can't actually talk about it, then the sex is quite often the first thing that goes out the window. But for sure, um, it's quite usual. Or even couples that are actively in therapy, sometimes like you 
work on the relationship, relationships better, you start working on sensei focus and the sexual relationship, but then you realize that actually we may need to backtrack a little bit to more of the relational work. Most of the time when you're not every week checking on the sex, uh, sexual exercises or touch exercises, they don't do them uh, outside of the kind of having the weekly check-ins for it. Um, so unless it's become something that they intrinsically do want to do um, and they both do want to do it and they figured it out how to fit it into their routine, it does often just fall by the uh, fall by the wayside and it doesn't um, stick. So you do kind of need to make sure that you complete that process and get to a place where they both where they both either want to engage sexually essentially with one another or they decide they don't and that they have a good relationship without it uh, which is also an option the default isn't always to have sex and to have a sexual relationship and whatever the sex means for the couple sometimes it's the acknowledgement that actually we've kind of done that now and we don't need to do that anymore and we're happy with that and that's okay too, but they kind of do need to complete that process um, to some extent to be able to continue. But it is it's the same as with everything. If you don't continue to work on it, it will not automatically just happen. Because even if you get to the kind of most amazing, greatest sex, and then you do that for five years, it will just become the same mundane sex that you have every day or every week for five years. So you have to have some kind of exploration and erotic growth um, there in the relationship and continuing that growth. Because if you don't, you'll probably just end up in the place where it's like the sex is kind of boring and lukewarm and you just don't have it very often. And so, you know, let's just say you've got a couple and they're not doing the homework. And then they go, well, look, Laura, should we just come in three weeks time because we're not done the homework and maybe we'll have done the homework by then yeah um <laughs> i would very much discourage them from coming in three weeks um because they may have done the homework then um because most likely they would not have um and it's kind of they're slipping into kind of like oh it's it's too hard this is too much work we're not going to do it and there's good reasons for why couples sometimes do that. It's not because they're bad clients, in quotes. It's just because maybe they're not ready or maybe they don't have sufficient motivation or maybe they're too preoccupied with something or maybe their relationship isn't going right or, or there's, there can be a lot of reasons or it can be that they don't really work with the therapist that they're with um, as well and or they don't really agree with with doing the touch exercises, they don't really see the point, but they don't feel safe enough to say, look, I don't really think this is going to work for me. And for me, it's really important that my clients feel like this is a collaborative effort. It's something that we're doing together. So like whenever I suggest touch exercises or something else, we talk about it and we figure it out. And I usually kind of approach it from a, are you up for trying something to see if we can improve the relationship? And they might say, no, look, I don't think so. And maybe three, six months later, they are ready for it, but maybe they're not then. Um, so sometimes you have to figure out and kind of process those blocks first to therapy. Lovely. And what about, you know, as you go on the journey with a couple, you might discover there's different wants different fantasies that the low desire person might have all kinds of things uh, that they want to try out or they don't have a sense of their sexual self you know mm -hmm. they could also be because they were just complying um, or it could be that they did enjoy certain things but they just felt they started to do it for the other so it wasn't like it was the worst in the world but they, they lost their sense of self. So, so you know, how is that when, when this all starts to open up about this person just hasn't, this hasn't taken up their space and there might be a lot of space for them to take up? 
Mm, for sure. And I think this happens so, so frequently. And oftentimes it's both partners, right? Like they have some kind of sexual script of how people are supposed to have sex. It doesn't necessarily mean it's the preference for either of them or what they necessarily want. And oftentimes people don't really know what they want because they haven't really explored or they haven't explored with each other. And even if you liked something with your previous partner 10 years prior, it doesn't mean you like it in this relationship because maybe you've changed, maybe the partner is different, maybe the dynamic is different and it just doesn't work. Um, and I, in the literature, um, actually, most researchers define sexual desire discrepancy just in terms of the number of times people wanna have sex and the discrepancy between that, which to me is kind of useless. Because when you speak to couples, most of the time, the number isn't that different. Sometimes it is, but most of the time, the kind of ideal number of times people want to have sex, it's like one says two to three times and the other one says three to four times a week. It's not that different and it's not that big a discrepancy. But then the reality is they have sex once a month. And one person is always pushing and the other one's pulling away. And oftentimes it's because it's not that the other person doesn't have desire, it's just they don't have desire for the sex that's on offer. And we have to talk about that. And sometimes it's going on exploration. So it, this depends a lot on the kind of place that they're at in therapy. Um, but if they are in a place where they're like, okay, we worked on this, we're in much better place, we've kind of, um, we're kind of in a place again where we don't feel anxious about sex and we we can have sex with each other, but it's still a bit like, and um, then I usually kind of go on with more kind of exploration. And now let's figure out what you do like and what you don't like and what you would like to explore um, and experience. And there's loads of kind of techniques or ways in which um, you can do that and approach that. So sometimes like homework I might give might be like, Go to like an online sex shop, have a look at the different toys, just talk about them, not even necessarily in relation to them, but like, what do you think that this does? What do you think this does? How do you feel about like trying this or not trying this? They don't have to buy anything. They don't have to engage with any of that stuff. It's just a kind of a thought experiment. Um, so that might be one example. Another one might be like, how about you watch different clips of porn or read different clips of erotica um, and see if any of those things make you feel excited. Um, and the more kind of broader spectrum you can get, the better, because then you can kind of look at different uh, appetites or you can have, I know um, a lot of, especially if you're kind of Nibidism or King community, they literally have a long, long, long list of things of like, yes, no, maybe. Um, and then they can kind of go through this and make a almost a contract with each other, deciding, okay, I would like to try this. I'm kind of curious about this. So I would never do this in any form. Um, and then you already have a much broader category of things. But bear in mind, you may not know what a lot of those things mean. So that's why I would encourage some exploration on, on just looking at different, different things. And it doesn't have to be kind of anything more extreme or more kind of different. It can just be, well, actually, I really like slow, sensual sex when we look at each other in the eye and we don't necessarily in intercourse, we're just interlaced in other ways or maybe I have this fantasy that I really want to have sex on the remote beach somewhere or in the car or like that kind of thing so there's lots of different fantasies and space for fantasy but if you don't explore them you wouldn't necessarily know what they are because we don't necessarily conjure up something that we don't know or think to think about. Mm, that's very nice isn't it and also you know sometimes like you said they can explore even trying a little bit of kit out you know even it doesn't have to be it can be just for play's sake like a, a paddle or even a flogger or even a pinwheel just to mm -hmm. see what these textures are like in a touch yeah. session they can try mm -hmm. uh and that can be quite a revelation for some people that sure. sex, sex doesn't have to be 
penis in vagina or penis in anus it can be lots of different aspects can't it or it can be different kinds of different kind of sensations can't it in in um in in sessions so so do you help them then you know if we we it sounds like you help them think about fantasies and and where could that go but also what so lovely talking to you laura this really brings to mind how it's probably just about the most vulnerable thing we can do is to express sexual desires yeah for sure it's about the most vulnerable place you can be isn't it i mean having an orgasm you are utterly vulnerable if if you have an orgasm if you want an orgasm mm. so i'm just realizing how delicate this work is and so in a way you're you're talking about safety and validation and context and understanding and even taking into context the idea that the low libido person or the seemingly low libido because they might not be yeah um has been shamed possibly for a long time for sure so possibly possibly so there's all these different elements in the space that then also don't make it that easy to open up and say well actually what i really want to do is all these quite erotic fantasies that i've had in my mind yeah for sure yeah it's very tricky um and so what I really like about emotionally focused therapy is that it's done in these stages where in the stage one, we focus just on, we call it de-escalating the cycle, which just means that we have a better understanding of kind of who's the pursuer, who's the withdrawer. We understand why we do certain things, what our emotions are, and we can start to slow things down. We can start to say, look, we're getting into the cycle again. I don't want to go down that route. I want to choose a different path. And we do that initially. We don't just tell people from the first session, go and tell your partner what you need, because chances are they don't even know. And they certainly will not feel safe enough to say it. So they might mutter something, but not not say something that's really on their mind. so then with EFT, once they're in a place where there is more safety, when there is more connection, then we can start exploring um, the kind of inner world of that person and, and those um, and the both partners' inner world until we get to a place where they do feel safe enough and connected enough with their partner to be able to risk. And I think, like Katie said, with sex, it's the most vulnerable you can be with someone because you are literally naked. It's not just that you're you're feeling really vulnerable and feeling naked. You are actually naked and you have to give your whole self to that person oftentimes in order to, for example, have an orgasm or have a really enjoyable experience with that person. And that it isn't going to happen if you don't feel safe you might have sex and you might even enjoy the sex but the sex is quite qualitatively different when there's no connection or when there's very little connection so that is that is a process and we eventually get to a place where the partners feel safe enough to express their needs and desires and actually with blue hearts um i and we've been working on this kind of plan for couples to go through for for some time now and we've mapped the kind of emotionally focused therapy stages onto kind of the sexual arena where you start by talking about the sexual cycle you start by working with sensate focus and other touch exercises from getting from the kind of anxiety to neutral And then when you're in that place where you feel more confident, when you feel better, when you feel able to quote unquote have sex, kind of what what you think in that place um, means sex, then we can go to the kind of stage two where you start communicating about your needs and wishes and desires and also fears around sex. And you start exploring in the sexual arena and bringing the playfulness into that relationship and into that experience as well, so that the experience with your partner becomes that of play and exploration that we can only explore and we can only play when we feel safe. Um, If we think back to attachment theory, for example, if we think back to those early kind of 80s experiments where they put a kid in the room 
and mother leaves then comes back and they explore with they try to find out whether the kid continues in place the kid doesn't unless the kid feels safe and it doesn't matter whether we're kind of a toddler age or whether we're 15 50 years old unless we feel safe we can't explore and we can't play so we need that that kind of basis for the safety and connection before we can then play and what about when the withdrawer person potentially will have sex and they'd quite like a lot of sex but it's not necessarily it might be sealed off sex you know those 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 concepts from um from eft where there's kind of like uh they might be able to just have sex and and kind of get off on sex but they're not so connected and so the pursuer feels like oh but i i don't want that i want more connected sex and and like and the 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 withdrawal person's like but i am i'm showing up and i don't know what you mean i don't know what you mean and 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 i suppose you know if you look at that granularly actually they do have a sense that their partner wasn't always there And they do, they can feel when it's done. But what would you, how would you speak to that? Yeah. So one of them, he, he, she, they will have sex. They'll do it. They'll do the whole thing. But then the other partner feels it's, it's not, it's not connected. It's not emotional. Yeah. It's not feeling based. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, and I have worked with a lot of couples where one partner is they are still having sex they are still engaging but like you said it's that kind of they're not really there or the partner doesn't really feel the connection from them because it is more more of an act um and it might be an act for pleasure and they might really enjoy the experience um in on the physical level but they're not emotionally really together there and Sometimes, especially when it's more casual sex, that might be exactly what you want, right? You just have this fancy, you want to play it out and you have it with someone you don't have much emotions for and it's brilliant and fine and exciting and fun. When you do that with your partner who wants to connect with you, that's a lot trickier because now you might still feel like you're kind of getting your physical needs met, you're getting kind of what you want, but your partner is not. Um, and sex is uh, most of the time a two-person process um, and not not an individual person process so you need kind of both people to be on it and and with them um, as well so I think that is probably one of the most difficult ones to work with I would say the kind of real avoidant sexuality for me at least um because even when people kind of go oh I don't want to have sex it's usually because the sex wasn't that good um but they still want some form of connection with their partner but when there's a person that just they've learned very early on to shut down and shut those um kind of feelings down in a sexual arena um, and I've worked with some clients where <laughs> they they work through a lot of stuff. They've worked through a lot of trauma and the way in which they've learned to kind of engage sexually with another person is by putting these safeguards around them. Um, and the idea of letting go of those safeguards is incredibly scary, really, really difficult and I'm not sure always achievable. And I think sometimes they can be, other times they maybe won't because there may be so much trauma history behind that it's just impossible. They won't be able to, and they won't put themselves in a situation where they're that vulnerable. And sometimes it's kind of helping the other person understand that, um, and maybe they can get the connection some other way because it's not always possible to work through that. This is very helpful because it just speaks to how much work if people are willing to work on the sexual field, because if one person feels like I get my sustenance from being sexual and they 
they come at the partner where there's not enough connection for the partner to feel that they're connecting. So they come sexually towards the partner and then the partner gets triggered and then maybe withdraws or says something and then they feel rejected. And it, But it's this mirroring in a way of trauma back and forth. Yeah. They both are not being met. And like you said, that has to be understood and you know paid attention to and and it's whether those people want to mm-hmm. are they willing to go there to look at mm-hmm. why yeah you know because it takes a lot of work to understand everybody's sensitivity in the relationship realm doesn't it and their yeah. injuries their wounds their traumas their it actually takes a lot because we understand our world from our perspective Mm-hmm. yeah and even in couple sessions sometimes you know that's quite a job isn't it Laura to to maybe only have an hour or an hour and a quarter or whatever for two people in two worlds and yeah, you know sure. it's not the same as an individual session where you've got the whole hour for someone it's yeah. like yeah you're navigating and maybe you can't get that deep in mm-hmm. a couple sessions sometimes yeah so it's so there's so much here but what would you speak to to the hope for EFT and sex therapy and, and developing this vulnerability and this openness and this safety and this coming together? I think everyone or almost everyone can improve and can get to a greater place of safety and connection. I would say that doesn't always have to mean that that's greater safety and connection sexually. Um, sometimes it's in other areas of, of their relationship. And also sometimes it's a redefin- redefinition of their sexual relationship because we traditionally tend to think, okay, like you mentioned, penis to vagina or penis to anus, kind of that's, that's sex um, and anything else isn't. But what if the trauma only, for example, gets triggered when it's intercourse-based, but not when it's, it's cuddling, holding, kissing, touching, and maybe it doesn't get triggered there. Maybe that's where the connection thing comes in. That's maybe where you can bring in the closeness and connection as well. And maybe you keep the kind of fun, erotic fantasies, but not so much connection pieces as separate from the connection, because if they're too scary for for one person, maybe they are. Um, and I would say with a lot of trauma background, we're always working with the trauma. We have to work to some extent within the confines of the trauma or within the kind of parameters of what's possible for that person. And it doesn't mean those parameters can't ever change, but it's a slow process. And sometimes couples decide, actually, we don't really want to work 10 years to work through this because it's a lot of work it's a lot of money it's a lot of time maybe we are satisfied with redefining our sexual relationship and our connection finding that in other ways too uh, which is okay and sometimes it's sad and I think sometimes for us therapists we kind of feel like we have to get the couple to a place we think is good enough and we lose maybe the sight of what's possible for the couple or what the couple wants because it's not always the same thing as what we want Um, and I think working with the couple to redefine and to understand the goal that we we can all work towards the same thing rather than the therapist becoming kind of the pusher to push them towards automatically sex with connection is the only right way to live. It's really lovely Laura and also you know For example, you know, sometimes with couples, uh, there's a huge amount of interruptions to having even a calm time beyond watching a TV program together or or going to the cinema or going to a meal. There's so many interruptions, children, work, stress. Mm. A lot of couples work full time and study and do all kinds of things. And Mm. then, you know, they may be more sensual sexual on holiday which makes sense because the space has relaxed and they're like or a weekend away and they're like is that the only way to do it and in some ways it makes sense because the space 
has relaxed. And I suppose part of what you're saying as well is give validation to the contexts. Mm-hmm. For sure, exactly. You know, like sometimes there is so much in the space, but you might be able to have a sweet cuddle at night mm-hmm. or a three minute touch of hands, or you might go for a swim even you know there might be different ways and I think that's the thing isn't it it's sex is like life force energy isn't it and it's like is can that life force energy flow in and with you even Mm. your partner saying something nice or even your partner sharing feelings you've seen you've seen this in EFT when people make a stretch or a reach Mm. that's like life force energy in a way can be very very touching can't it although that touching thing can be quite a lot for people but that's sexual energy as well isn't it is is how many mm-hmm. can flow come back where people feel safe and playful like you've spoken to mm-hmm. and so that people can feel there's sustenance mm-hmm. in the relationship and i suppose that what you're saying is is that you work with couples where they are and you work with them as far as they can go and you'll even work with the ABOGs, the, 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 the triggers that come up, right? Mm-hmm. But there can be some maybe renewed sustenance, which may not look like it originally was required, but mm-hmm. it may be sustaining. And it's kind of like working with what you've got, maybe, mm-hmm. if that suits people. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think sometimes the, the kind of difficulty that you may have is that the kind of as far as people can go differs for one partner and the other. Um, And again, you may be able to work through that in a lot of time. And sometimes it's, it's figuring out, okay, one person can go, I don't know, to X place and the other ones may be like three, four steps behind or in different direction. Right. It's not always that once months in front, once behind, maybe one person, um, like if I worked with clients, for example, with, with kink and maybe one person, I don't know, um, I don't want to break anyone's confidentiality. So I'm trying to think of a different <laughs> example. Um, but for example, one person might have like a foot fetish. Um, they're relatively common and may involve different things, may involve really touching, licking, engaging a lot with feet. And the other person has very, very ticklish feet or they just find it a bit weird or they're not really interested in that. Um, And they really don't want to engage in in that experience with the person. And they're kind of in some ways going in a different direction. And part of kind of living as a couple is that negotiating process of, okay, where are we happy to go to as a couple? Where can we go as a couple? Where can we find that? kind of mutual understanding and balance. I know we, I think as therapists, we have this kind of ideal in mind of where we want to get to and we want everyone to be happy and completely satisfied by the end of it. But sometimes it's not possible or it's very difficult. And sometimes we have to readjust those expectations. But often with couples, when they've gone through the therapy, when they have a better understanding of each other and they have empathy for each other, even if they're on different pages, they can work through that and they can figure it out because they have empathy for each other's positions. And maybe they come to a decision where once a month they do some foot play and other times they have quote-unquote normal sex or sex without the foot play as an example. So maybe they find a nice balance or in the example, Kate, that you gave earlier where one person's kind of shut off, um, just focused on the physical pleasure, not connection. Maybe they find where, I don't know, once a month they have that kind of sex and, or every other time they have that kind of sex, every other time they find some other ways of connecting with each other. But we can only really get to that place of negotiating and figuring out what works for both of us. How do we both meet our needs? when we've done that work, when we come to a place where we understand each other's position, because oftentimes when couples come in, they don't, they think they understand or they have kind of a perception of the other person's wishes or desires, but they're often quite different. But if we can get to a place where they both have empathy, where they do understand where the other person's coming from, 
then from there they can figure out what does that look like for us in our relationship and occasionally that means that they're what they want is aren't too far apart and they decide actually we want to look elsewhere whether that's in an open relationship format or they break up and and look for that relationship and that need elsewhere with a caveat oftentimes you just end up swapping one problem with another so it doesn't you very often improve um the overall situation but occasionally it does and occasionally that may be the the right thing to do as well and what's so lovely about what you're speaking to is is growth individuation and differentiation that whatever people choose whether they stay together whether they work out that's cuddling or trying something different once a month if they can or they don't even with fantasy if people are up for it you know you don't have to include a, a, another person you could talk the fantasy through or tell someone this is what I'd like to do with you and then somebody else is in the room and this is what they're doing to you know you can play with these different ideas in so different ways can't you but what you're saying is it's it's to the degree of having empathy it reminds me of Dr David Schnarch you know with his four pillars of differentiation that he believes he believed that committed relationship grows us more than anything else and that it's so sweet hearing you because either way you're learning how to adult how to negotiate how to stay with yourself, hold on to yourself, but also meet another and 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 have this have these different places that can coexist at the same time. Whereas whereas originally it can seem binary, it can seem black or white, all or nothing, concrete thinking. I can't see my way through this, and my partner's not meeting me. And it's that kind of process of helping people to to in a way have an adulting process through sexuality. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one issue that we kind of come up against a lot as couples therapists is that there is so many kind of um, myths about relationships and sexuality in the world. Like we're supposed to find the one. And obviously, by definition, if you find the one, they're the perfect match for you, i.e. they always like the same things. They always feel tired at the same time and happy at the same time and want to do things at the same time. And they're just in every way perfect for you. And therefore, you shouldn't have to fight for the relationship. You shouldn't have to compromise. You shouldn't have to negotiate. You should just be able to do it and it should be easy. Um, and obviously, all kind of Hollywood movies, all TV shows are kind of following that same idea of like, there's strong attraction, there's some issues, you can't talk about it, but you don't have to talk about it because at the end of the day, you can get married after three weeks and live happily ever after even though you have not the slightest idea of how to communicate with, with each other. Um, but I think we kind of come up against these. But in happy, healthy relationships, most of the time there is, um, Kate, you use the term differentiation, where you have two individual beings with their own desires and wishes and likes and preferences. And there's some overlap, I hope, because otherwise it's very difficult to have a relationship if you want completely different things. But if you think about it as a kind of Venn diagram where you've got some common in the middle, but then you have your own things that can enhance the relationship and can enhance the experience. And we talk a lot about this, like sometimes couples have this feeling of like, we're supposed to do everything together. We're supposed to like the same things. We're supposed to like each other's friends and spend time with each other's friends. Or we're supposed to both go on holiday. We can't just have one person who likes holidays and the other one who doesn't. Um, in my relationship, my husband hates holidays. I love holidays. My <laughs> response to that um, is I go on holiday with my mom because she loves holidays, right? Or I arrange a conference where my husband will go for work and I get a holiday um, because we're both going. So you find kind of ways of working with that and working with the differences. Um, or you need to if you want to have a happy, healthy relationship, but expecting that you won't have these or expecting that you won't need to negotiate uh, will just mean that you'll be very disappointed after a couple of years. Um, and of, and of course, it's so beautifully put, Laura, because <clears throat> if the potential is that people become grateful 
for those differences because they would never have grown these different parts like you have these lovely times with your mom or you've created environments like the conference where you get a holiday but you're with your husband so it's it's like uh you know how would i change how would i change if if i had if i wasn't with someone who had entirely different uh desires and needs as well as uh, some similar uh mm. tonight i'm going to a um a celebrity cricket night in uh in um, a performance thing with it's going to be clips with two celebrity cricketers and clips of cricket and history of cricket and i know absolutely nothing about cricket and no. my husband is sport mad and but I know I'll really enjoy this. Mm -hmm. And I'm so grateful to him because um, he's taught me, the he is sport mad. Mm -hmm. And I have learned about the beauty and the relaxation and the playfulness and the, the pure letting go of sport. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, sure. And I just, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't understand that. I didn't get that. And now I do. And I know tonight's gonna be brilliant, even though I absolutely know pretty much I've been to one cricket match ever but but that initially when he was I didn't know he was so mad about sports initially I was like oh my goodness like he's absolutely bonkers about sport every sport how does this work and now I realize it's a really good playful thing sports actually really really a good relaxing playful mm -hmm. place um, and he's really good at play and that makes him really good at other things. Like he's really good at being present. So, but it's it's shifted from, oh my goodness, to isn't this great? So mm -hmm. I really get what you're saying. And, and then it becomes a creative journey, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. For sure. So um, yeah, thank you, Laura. It's it, you know what you've done. It's so lovely. You've turned it round from this is a problem to this is this is an adventure. Yeah, for sure. And this is actually quite a fun adventure, especially the way you put the holidays and the conferences. It's just great. That is so creative. And, mm -hmm. and that's, that's, that's what can happen. I mean, I found this cricket night we're going to. You know, I found it and I know I'll enjoy it. I told other people, they went, oh, I don't like cricket. I know nothing about cricket. I know I'm going to enjoy this just because of the way it's been set up. And my mm -hmm. husband will love it and we'll have a fun, fun night. But I would never have, and I've gone, I, yeah, I've engaged in all kinds of sporting things I just wouldn't have done. Sure. I didn't think that so I really and in fact I he went on a training and I went with him and I had a holiday and he was on a training and just like you and it was just so great so yeah thank you Laura this was just so so special and just really yeah rich rich and um, steady as well which is what I imagine you give to your couples I know also your app and your research and so many things that you give, which is so lovely, such support to couples in the world, isn't it? So, um, but I just think that note of like, these differences are potentially actually quite exciting in the end, the, turn, sure. the turnaround. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. That is a lovely thing to put in the space, Laura. So thank you very, very much. And, uh, Wishing you, wishing you so well, Laura. Lovely to talk to you. Thanks, Katie, for having me. It's been so much fun today. Thanks.